everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rookrout. And today we'll be sharing with you an interview that we did with Nicole Regal. Nicole is the director of Holler, a movie which comes out this Friday from IFC Films. We really love speaking with her and hope that you enjoy that interview. Nicole Regal, the writer and director of Holler, grew up in Jackson, Ohio. And during high school, she served in the military, then later made her way to L.A., where she graduated from UCLA's MFA writing program. She was named one of Variety's 10 directors to watch in 2020 and one of Filmmaker Magazine's 25 Faces of Independent Film. She has been supported by Sundance through their Screenwriters Lab and the Skywalker Sound and Music Lab. Holler, Nicole's feature directorial debut, which was an official selection of the 2020 Toronto International Film Festival and an official selection of the 2020 South by Southwest Film Festival, is about a young woman, Ruth, who joins a dangerous scrap metal crew to pay for her education and the chance of a better life. Nicole, congratulations and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your new film, Holler. Thank you. Thank you so much. You all made it sound like such a short period of time. (laughs) I know it was like, went to high school, made it to LA, and I'm sure there's like a whole few hours you could talk just about that time period. (laughs) Yeah, you sort of breezed through my my 20s, which felt like 50 years long and you made Yeah, that was really great. We also have to tell you that we are both Ohioans, so we're so excited to talk about this movie and to watch it. Uh, I don't know that I've ever met Ohioans in press. This makes oh me my so excited. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. Not from the same part. I'm from a suburb of Cleveland. Yeah, okay. I have a family in Cleveland. I have family all over Ohio. Okay, amazing. <laughs> And I'm from Columbus, but I have to tell you, my mom grew up in Greenfield, Ohio, which is like not that far from Jackson. Yes, that's so exciting. (laughs) Uh, You should should make sure she watches the film. I know Holler's playing all over Ohio movie theaters opening weekend. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. That was very important to me. So we'll get started here. In being a semi-autobiographical film, I'm sure there are parts of yourself that we didn't get to see on screen. And I'm assuming a lot of Ruth came from your writing, obviously. And, you know, she's an intelligent, critical thinker. She's good at math. She likes to read. She's stealing books from the library. So from that background, how did you get interested in film and find out that filmmaking and writing were what you wanted to do? Yeah, wow. Um... It's so funny you mentioned her stealing library books. I think I still have one that I stole. <laughs> it's about dogs. I I don't know. I mean, I have nothing interesting or artistic to say. As a teenager, I stole a book about dogs and changed it to Madame Bovary because much cooler than one about dogs. But yeah, I mean, I worked in a movie theater in, in my, my hometown where this is filmed. That was my high school job was working in a movie theater and I cleaned up popcorn and sold tickets. And that was, I mean, I, I saw everything that came to that movie theater. And then I went to the library and I would, that's where like the really interesting films were. And then it was also the days of, you know, the video store, which is still another amazing experience. I love, I would still rent movies now if I could. And I, I, I think I still owe rental fees 
to a movie theater, but they're all closed. So I never have to pay that. Um, <laughs> I was consuming them in any way I could. And all that's to say is that that was sort of my early film school because it was Southeast Ohio and no film courses were taught in, in the school system. No one that I knew of wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh, and so I was sort of, you know, cleaning these movie theaters and renting these, you know, movies and watching like Italian neorealism films that I checked out from the library and sort of like smuggling them, you know, in my bedroom and like putting them in the VCR. And, and you know, like, what is this? I'm trying to understand this. And, you know, that was really film to me at first, um, was graduating from like blockbusters to like world cinema at a super young age and knowing I wanted to do that, but there was sort of a world, it seemed at the time between me in Jackson, Ohio and that. And um, I didn't really have a lot of people helping me. I didn't, and, and I don't blame them. I don't think they knew how to help me. Like my, you know, my family certainly didn't know here's the path for a young person born in this family who wants to be a filmmaker. Like, what do we do? How do we nurture this? And there wasn't really a school system to nurture it either. There were art classes, but not really a path for um, being a film director. <laughs> I love that story about you just like taking everything that you could from the library and watching everything that you could in a movie theater. Everything. Everything, I would start on one wall of a video store and just watch everything. I knew every single day a new release would hit the shelf. I knew, I mean, I would watch everything. I would use the money I earned from working in a movie theater and blow those paychecks on renting movies <laughs> and going to other movie theaters. So I never had any money. It was just always going back in, into movies. And that's all I did. And I didn't have any friends. So I had all the time in the world to watch movies. <laughs> that I think connects perfectly to our next question, which was, I really <laughs> felt like your filmmaking showed so much empathy for Ruth. And I just loved some of the choices that you made, like when she stole that library book to show the struggles that girls in particular face to pursue education in Southern Ohio. And thinking about your filmmaking influences, could you talk about some of your inspirations that helped you decide how you wanted to tell Ruth's story? Yeah, I mean, I am I'm a massive Andrea Arnold fan. She is my biggest influence. Um, I love Ken Loach through, through Ken Loach. I found through all of these like old, like Italian neorealism films, like then I gravitated over to British cinema. What I love about British cinema is uh, they don't shy away from, I guess, what I'll call British working class cinema, mm. where in America, we love showing like big, glamorous, loud movies. And that's great. But in Britain, like, they really embrace working class voices. Mm -hmm. It's very chic there. It's very, it's embraced. You're allowed to point out the shortcomings of your country in an entertaining way in, in, in Britain. Uh, so I really loved those filmmakers. That was a place where I saw working class families on screen. And they were also having fun like it and showing the beauty of the place it wasn't just you know doom and gloom for every character on screen Elia Kazan was a director I was introduced to early on like you know Splendor in the Grass my favorite movie of all time that's by great, the way that's a great one uh, and and a love story right mm -hmm. and a love story and Natalie Wood and that amazing performance and Warren Beatty's debut 
um, and on the waterfront. And then I found this film, it's really interesting film, Wanda by Barbara Loden, which is sort of, it's always vying for my top movie with Splendor in the Grass. And that was like the pivotal film for me. Like the big one was um, watching this semi-autobiographical film that she made on 16 millimeter in Coal Country. And she stars in the title role. And that film was just, uh, it just blew my mind because she, it was all those local people and um, Wanda and Mr. Dennis. I don't know if you've seen it. It's so great. And the film was, um, it, it opened at the Venice Film Festival and the Deauville Film Festival. Deauville is where Holler physically world premiered. And uh, people, like, I think they hated it at the time. I think it was just rejected because at that time you had the second wave of feminism coming in. And then here you have a film like Wanda say, with like who that character is relying on all of these men and sleeping with these men in the film and she can't take care of herself. And you have the second wave of feminism happening and it just was, was rejected. It was just the wrong time for that film. But, but now what I love is in the past few years, there's been this resurgence and Wanda's sort of cool now. Now everyone's watching it and they're showing it at art house theaters and it's making a, a comeback in sort of like these art house circles. That's great. I will definitely have to watch that. I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. I also got a lot of like Nicholas Ray from you. I love Nicholas Ray. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I love Nicholas Ray. I mean, I just love his empathy for young, for young people and mm-hmm. their yearning and their searching and their confusion. Uh, they live by night. Yeah. Was a big one for me. I mean, Rebel Without a Cause, obviously. They live by night's my favorite. And then he has this film. Uh, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on it. It's the Eskimo film that he made. Uh, Savage Innocence. Savage Innocence. Yeah. Yeah. I did my entire, um, my college dissertation on Nicholas Ray. Oh my God. Wow. That's great. For people looking for a great Saturday night, <laughs> you can please check out the Corey of Nicholas Ray dissertation. I'm actually going to do that. I was going to say, we, we have a whole like 10 film week program just yeah. from everything you've mentioned so far. <laughs> One thing, and this is a little bit of a pivot, but I thought it was really interesting how you included some like Trump voiceover with the radio and near the end of the film. But I'm curious, like, why did you choose to include that in the film and so early on in the film, the jobs, 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 that part? I wanted to include it because I understand my family and that region's viewpoints, and they're not the same as mine. But because we don't have the same viewpoint, we're still human beings, and we still all live on this planet together. And I, I think we need to have films that restore some empathy. And I, I put that voice over there because that was the promise. That's not my opinion. That was the promise of jobs, 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 and jobs, that's what people need there. And jobs are still going away from that area. You know, one plant can employ like 1100 people can employ even more than that. in, in, in a town of 6,000 people, mm-hmm. a frozen food manufacturing plant and a paper mill employs most of the people in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And when you have places like that going away, you're taking away jobs and money and livelihoods and relationships and you're taking them away from people who are you know like Linda in the story a 55 year old woman her job goes away and it's easy to say go find another job this is someone who doesn't have all of those computer skills and 
is a part of the tech world and yes, you can train her, but at 55, do you want to go through training and learn a whole other skill that you've done for 30 years? It's easier said than done. It's easy to be a talking head and say that on a screen. It's another thing to be Linda. So jobs was the promise and jobs is what they want. And so that's why it's in the film. Um, and that's me coming at it from the point of view of someone born and raised there who understands it. Mm -hmm. I don't agree. I, I don't agree with him. Right. I have, trust me, I'm, that is not the side I'm on. <laughs> However, I can still understand why that's appealing to some people. And I think that's what's missing in a world where everything's black and white and there's such a, a lack of nuance. And, and Holler was made with so much nuance. At least that's what I intended. It was like, let's put a, in a, in a world where it's red versus blue, let's put a film out there that's really gray because that's what the world is. Absolutely. That's what people are when you actually talk to them. And I think applying that to Ruth, she's not this cutout character who wants to leave and is ready to. She shows a lot of hesitation along the way in leaving her hometown. And then her mother shames her for the idea. She eventually says to her brother, Blaze, you know, I don't want to leave you. So can you talk about some of that sense of betrayal, if that's what you felt, like what you portray with Ruth and how you overcame that? I'm glad you brought that up. People often ask me, like, you know, why I went into the military, why, and a, and a, and a story I don't tell that often is that I actually did get accepted into a really prestigious art school like Ruth and uh, in New York and I didn't go and I walked away from it. And for someone like me from that background to get into that school um, was huge. And I didn't go, I didn't have anyone helping me figure out how to go. I could have probably at 17 figured it out a little bit. Like I, I could, you know, but I didn't try very hard be because I felt like my family is here. Everyone who raised me is here. Everything I know is here. And going puts me in a, a different class of people. Like even when I went to the interviews for the, for the school, I could sense I'm about to enter a totally different world of like elite art school. And that of course was appealing and exciting, but I was 17 and I never left the state. Like it was scary, it was terrifying. And I, I didn't know how to do it. It felt like a betrayal. It felt like I'd be leaving behind all these people who worked so hard so that I could go to art school. Uh, that just didn't compute to me at 17. Um, and I felt probably because of really low self-esteem at 17 and because of what being in Southeast Ohio does to you as a young person when you have no choices and you're told you really shouldn't expect more than graduating and working in one of these plants, it, it really you internalize a lot of that. And only people who've sort of had that experience and grown up there really understand what I'm talking about. And it's hard to imagine a future beyond a manufacturing plant for yourself hmm. if you're from Jackson, Ohio. And so I just internalized all of that and said, I'll go in the military because that's what everyone else was doing because I firmly believed that I belonged there. It wasn't something I wanted to do or dreamt of doing, but it felt like that's where I belong. I don't belong in an art school. So then how did the military turn into UCLA and writing? 
Yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, I, well, I, I, found, you know, I went to the military and I'm glad I did. It was, you know, I was such a, a punk and it really put a lot, instilled a lot of discipline in me. And I made a lot of amazing relationships and just had this wild life experience. And it really led to me, you know, as a, as a grown woman, believing that everyone should do some sort of national service. I don't know that you should just go to college. Like you should go for a year or two and soak up the world and figure out who you are. And so I had that experience and I then took this class at, uh, in Dayton, Ohio. I didn't stray too far from home. I was still staying there and, and after the, like at the tail end of the military. And I took this film class in Dayton, Ohio from Julia Reichert and Steve Bognar who did that amazing doc American Factory and so many other documentaries. She's like the godmother of documentary. And I took this course from her upon female filmmakers. We only watched films made by women. And I was introduced to Mary Heron and Lisa Chilodenko and Tamara Jenkins and Martha Coolidge and all these incredible filmmakers. I'd never seen any of their films, even growing up and renting all of those movies. I watched them for the first time in Julia's class. And it just reignited everything that I had like buried and shelved away for those few years in the military. And I decided to, you know, pursue it. And I just applied on a whim to UCLA film school and I got in and I, I moved to Los Angeles and I took maybe two of the classes and then I, I withdrew. I dropped out. I showed up kind of like Norma Ray, like I'm gonna make these working class dramas. And everyone was pitching these stories about aliens and I didn't fit in again. And so I was like, I'm out. And and the and I and the 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 chair of the entire film department, Hal Ackerman, uh, called me at home and said, we have no one like you at this film school. You have to come back. You really belong here. I just heard you sort of withdrew from school after you know and and he need to come back and and he convinced me and i did wow that's, that's incredible a, yeah <laughs> that's a great story i feel like it's so important and this comes through in your film too of just like needing encouragement needing mentors who look like you like seeing people who are doing what you want to do who have similar experiences or stories to tell so i think that really connects with what you're saying about ruth too in the movie yeah I actually remember, I think the day I withdrew, I just walked out of class. And this is just 10 people. This isn't an, a lecture hall or anything. This is just 10 people and one person walks out and no one knows why. <laughs> I'm so glad it ended up working out. <laughs> yeah, it, it worked, it worked yeah. out. And yeah, it was, it was great. I think it's also just like Ruth and I think a testament to just sort of being yourself mm -hmm. and it can, it maybe makes the journey a lot longer and a lot of my peers I went through film school with and one of the frustrating things about film school for me is trying to fit people into a mold mm -hmm. or what you think the system is going to want and that can lead to really quick rewards that maybe aren't always lasting but I think just really being yourself and I know that's such a cliche but it's it's really true and and if you and it's a slower journey but it's a really rewarding one. Well, thinking about your film again, I really like how you shot it on Super 16 handheld and you actually returned to your hometown to shoot it. And I think we're wondering, like, 
how important was it for you to like be the one to shoot this film on location with real life workers and residents there? Um, and then did you feel like there were any locations with that being your hometown that you really wanted to showcase? Yeah, I, I mean, I really wanted to showcase the roller rink because I skated in that roller rink when I was, when I was young, we had like a, there was like a, always like a party there, like a fifth grade or sixth grade, like these parties at the roller rink and um, you get these weird like limbo games mm-hmm. or something. And like, you know what I'm talking They're about? They're big in Ohio, <laughs> I think. Yeah, and you stand against, then they did this one where you stand against the wall and a boy has to ask you to skate, like really weird. Yeah, yeah. And I joke with the crew, we have video of it. Like no, no boy ever asked me to skate. And then adult Nicole has like a whole like, you know, camera crew of boys skating with her. So like I made 15 year old Nicole super proud. <laughs> but the roller rink was really important. It was the most fun day we had of filming because we were all skating the pop songs before we shot the film. And it was a really hard shoot. I wouldn't say it was a fun shoot because we made the film in a, in a blizzard. But roller rink day was just amazing. I think everyone skated their butts off that day. And I think all, you know, all the locations, it, you know, I, I loved shooting in the factories. I loved shooting in the scrapyard. The scrapyard was rough. That was a rough location to shoot in, but it's a memorable one, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, you know, all the people we found who work in those, those places, um, we found through these amazing casting directors. We use Carmen Leach and, and John Williams and Lanny Thompson, who sort of specialize in going into communities and, and cultivating these relationships and helping find people. And some of them I knew, some of them I, I met for the first time when I went back home. I think as more and more films come out, we're starting to see more authentic portraits of rural America and low-income families. I'll mention a few. Winter's Bone, even Nomadland or Hillbilly Elegy from last year. You mentioned Ken Loach and a lot of your inspirations, maybe even Aaron Brockovich. But how did you want to set your film apart from these other films that either do or don't have a Hollywood feel to them? Yeah, um, what I love about Nomadland that you mentioned is the warmth in the film and that it's not just bleak. At least I didn't find it just bleak all the way through. The people in the film talk, speak, act like normal people. It's not every single moment of their on, on screen time is totally life or death. And But there's warmth and they laugh and there's levity to it. There's levity to Frances McDormand and Swanky mm-hmm. hanging out in those lawn chairs <laughs> doing like facials and God knows where. I love watching, watching those people interact. But I mean, I think that's the biggest way that takeaway that I want people to have with, with Holler and how I, I feel Holler is set apart from all of those films is that there is struggle and there is hardship and there is anguish, but there is, there is warmth and there's heart to it. And people who are middle-class or low-income families, they also have jokes around the dinner table. They have a sense of humor. They have friendships. They have pockets of fun in their lives. But when you have people in Hollywood making films about working class people in places they've never been or places that are research trips for them, how can you possibly get to know anyone from Ohio when it's a research trip to you? Like you come to the story with this idea that it's just all tears and 
murder and crime and opioids and just doom and gloom. And those things are there. But I actually think where I'm from is really beautiful. And that's part of why I shot on Super 16 millimeter. But I want people to see the beauty in, in where I'm from. I think you can definitely see that in your film. That was what I really, one of the things I really loved about it was just how warm it felt and how they felt like real people, like real Ohioans living there. So I think that definitely comes through in your film. Thank you. So just to wrap up, we want to ask you something that we ask all of our guests, which is what's something that you're wild for right now? It can be anything, a film, a TV show you watched recently, a book you read, anything. Okay. Oh my. Um, I just read a book that I really loved uh, called You Exist Too Much. There's this publishing house called Catapult and they publish a lot of debut novelists and they always feel very, uh, very confessional, very, um, the book stray. I'm trying to think of that. Uh, Stephanie Dandler's stuff, very, just very raw confessional debut novels. And I love them. And I just finished You Exist Too Much is I think my first one out of I'm going to check out more of their books. I definitely will too. And you gave us a lot of movies to watch too. So mm -hmm. don't feel like you're too yeah. on the spot. <laughs> I, actually, there was a, a movie I watched uh, yesterday, a cinematographer recommended to me, recommended to me called um, uh, La Cienica. Uh, and it's an Argentinian film. And it was, if you like Andrea Arnold's uh, stuff, you'd really like it. It's a really, really bizarre film. I've never, I'm still reeling from it. I watched it yesterday morning. I watch films really early in the morning when I'm very alert. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So IFC Films is releasing Holler on Friday, June 11th, and it will be in select theaters and on demand and digitally. If you're in Ohio, go check it out in one of those many theaters. And Nicole, thank you so much for being with us today and chatting with us. Yes. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. It was so great to talk to you more about your film and just about your experience and always happy to have an Ohioan on our show with us. Yes. Yes. We're a very, we're very, um, very polite people. <laughs> so I hope you guys enjoyed that interview and hopefully you'll go and check out Holler out this Friday. Thank you all for listening and we will see you next time. Bye.